So, first question that I have for you this morning is how many of you are freaked out when you came in the sanctuary? <laughs> yes. Yes. I purposely did that just to mess with your mind so that you could come in and go, my God, who took my chair? Do you ever notice that people, in, they get comfortable, you get very comfortable in the place where you sit, and it's like, this is where I sit. This is my chair. Well, how dare you mess with my seat? And because some of you right now, you're like pining away, wanting to be like somewhere in between here or in the back there. Well, sometimes it's good just to mix things up just a little bit and uh, not get too comfortable and, uh, and recognize everything's still okay. Don't get mad. If you do, I'm going to have to pray for you and then you're going to have to repent and deal with all of that. So you might as well just say, praise the Lord. Something different is good. Amen. Let's try it this way for a while and who knows, we might, we might put the uh, platform back there next time. I don't know. I mean, who knows, Right? So just enjoy. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them, please, this morning to the book of 1 Timothy, and we'll get started there here in just a moment. I want to ask you another question. If I was to ask you as a, as a believer, a, a, a Christian, what is the most important thing in the world, what would, you, what would your answer be? Now, don't, don't, don't say it out loud because I can't handle all, every, all the responses, but I just want you to, to think about that. What would be your answer if I said, what, what is the most important thing in the world to you? And many of you, you know, might say, well, uh, my family, my children, my, uh, my church, uh, my relationship with God. I mean, you'd be, there may be a variety of different responses that some of you might say, different things. In the world, you know, we've been on this, uh, this series for a little while now called the Upside Down Kingdom. In the world, uh, it may be something similar. The world uh, might say, well, my family, my job, getting ahead, but all of that essentially translates to, to this. If, if somebody's concerned about their family, then what does that say? They, they want the best for them. They want to position them for the best they can. If it's, well, my job is the most important thing, because that's the way sometimes worldly people think, you know. Well, my job and making the most money that I can make, it's the most important thing that I could do. And so they think about that because it translates and correlates to how much money do I have? How much, what does, what can I do? Because folks, at life, it, you're, I mean, we know we're Christians, but, and, and we're, you know, in the kingdom of God, but we also have to live in the, in the world too, right? Y'all, have any of you been able to pray in tongues and, and uh, pay your bills just by the fact that you, you did something like that? Have you been able to just kind of just pray and say, Lord, take it away? I, I teased one time before and said, sometimes when we pray over, over meals, we might be eating something that we don't know or we, we think we know is not particularly great for us, but somehow or another we think that, Lord, take away all the bad stuff out of it. <laughs> if you know it's got bad stuff in it, you, you might be kind of on your own on that one. You know, you know it's like, I, I want what I want. Now, Lord, you do your part, I'll do my part. I, eat, I get what I want and you take the rest of it away. Well, it's kind of like that sometimes. We want what we want. And in the world, that is a worldly way that, that, that we consider and think about things. But in the kingdom of God, it's different. We think about things and should think about, about things just a little bit differently. I want to start here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Very familiar verse. We've looked at many times throughout the, the almost 17 years now. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10, he says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. 
which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's a very misunderstood uh, passage of Scripture because many people think that they, they, because I've heard them quote it before, they'll say things like, well, you know, money's the root of all evil. Money's the root of all evil. And let, me, let me stop you right there. Money is not the root of all evil. You, you have to have money. You, you have to, you, you need it. You, you try, to try to live, try to, to, to trans, be in, get transportation without money. Try to have a place to live without money. Try to eat without money. You are in the world and it requires being a part of that in that sense. Okay? But it's the love of money. When you get to a place to where you love money more than you love God, that is where he comes, it comes in to be a problem because he, he, he responds after that and says, which while some have coveted after. In other words, it's the thing that drives them. They're just, all oh, that's the only thing they think about. They covet after money and they've erred from the faith. In other words, it pulled them away from their faith and it pierced them through with many sorrows. Now, we have a big misunderstanding of this in the church. And there are lots of people that think somehow or another that uh, if a church has any means or somebody in the church has any means, somehow or another, that's wrong. And folks, that's why that we have churches disintegrating all across the world. That's why we have churches that are, that are falling apart because they, they don't have an understanding about the importance of this. Now, it ain't everything, but we're going to, I'm going to share some things I, I know is going to help you. Don't, so don't, don't give up on me just yet. Okay, don't say, well, he's just trying to, you know, talk to him about me. He wants my money. We've already received the offering. I'm not receiving a second offering. Although we could, maybe. No, we're not receiving a second offering, so just relax. I, I want to encourage you on some things, but I believe that when you see where I'm going, I believe you'll understand what, what I want to get across to you. So there's a lot of churches that have a misunderstanding about this. I, was, I remember one time Doug Jones, some of you remember uh, Brother Doug came down from Rama uh, in Oklahoma. We, we, he's been here a couple of times, preached for us. And so Doug was talking to me one time and he said uh, um, that he's like the, the, the liaison for Rama to all the pastors that have graduated from Raymond Bible School, and so he's their connector. You know, when they have things that he tries to stay in contact with them, encourage them, and give them direction, all these kind of things. So he said, I have looked at pastors in the face that have, that have come and sat in front of me, and he said, literally grown men, 58, 62 years old, and cry because their churches are falling apart and they can't afford to pay their pastor. And so they're having to literally, he said, this one guy, he says, I have no skills, none. I, I'm, I'm going to have to go to work at McDonald's and not that there's anything wrong with working at McDonald's, but obviously we know that's a lower end of, of, the, of the scale. And he said, I have no skills. I don't know nothing else to do. And the church is falling apart because it can't afford anything. And that mindset has crept into Christianity that somehow or another you're not supposed to have anything. Well, folks, it's hard to make an impact when you don't have the ability or the resources to do that with. So this is why that we believe in prosperity. We want people to be blessed. I want you to be so blessed that your life is, you have everything that you need and you are in a position to help other people. When you're positioned with the abundance that I believe God wants you to have, in fact about it, let me just say this. Let me jump over. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, he says, But you shall remember the Lord your God. It is he 
talking about the Lord, that gives you power to get wealth. Why? So that he may establish his covenant, which was sworn unto your fathers as it is this day. So in other words, he says, the purpose in me blessing you and, and prospering is you, prospering you so that you can be in a position to fulfill the covenant. To be able to get the word of God out. It's important. Okay, so we want to look at this, but that tells me this. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, he says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We believe that, right? That's a scripture we use a lot, right? Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But watch this. How then, how, how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So that tells me preaching is a really important thing. Amen. Well, but people can hear preachers on TV. Do you think they that do you think they just slot them airtime for nothing? There's nothing that's for nothing. And let me even just say this. Let me I didn't I didn't really plan to say this, but I'm going to anyway. When we, are, when we refuse to be a part of something in the, in the fact, in the way of means of giving into something, you show true value in the things that you support. You show it's a value to you. And, and Mark Hankins was here uh, several years ago and he said something that I never forgot. He said, show me your checkbook, your register of your checkbook, and I'll show you what's important to you. If we look and see what's, where your money is going, we'll see what's the most important things to you. We'll be able to ascertain that. I'm not against you, you know, having good things, nice things, and, and it's all good. That's right. But you also need to understand that all of this is important as well. If preaching the gospel is necessary, then financing preaching the gospel is necessary. Right. Otherwise, how are we going to do it? Now, but I, I, that's not really my message. I just need to lay some of this down just to get to where I really want to be. So just be patient with me, okay? So in the upside down kingdom, it says this. In order to receive, what do you have to do? That is weird. That's what Pastor Jason said. I'm just quoting him. If you've got a problem with it, see him after the service. That is weird. It is. In order to receive, I have to give. It doesn't feel right. In the world, the world would tell you in order to have anything, you can't give much away because after all, you need it. Right? That's what the world says. But in the kingdom of God, which is upside down from the world, it, the, the, the kingdom of God says in order to receive, you have to give. Now, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a significance to that in just a minute. So just let me lay a little bit of groundwork here. Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, God's not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that's what he reaps. He's saying, whatever somebody is willing to sow into something is what they can expect to get back. Proverbs eleven twenty four in the Amplified Bible says, There are those who generously scatter abroad, and yet they increase more. That's upside down. You generously scatter, but yet you get more. And there are those who withhold more than is fitting or what is justly due, but it results only in want. So it's like that's upside down. That's not what the world's going to tell you, but that's what God tells us. Let me, let me look over at Luke chapter 16, and, and I want to share this with you. As we're getting there, let me read Luke 6, 38 to you as well. 
Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you meet with all, it'll be measured to you again. So in other words, he says, with the same standard that you give, that's what God will use to give back to you. It's never an amount. So don't ever get hung up on, on that. And I'm not just talking about church. So let me qualify that too. I'm not talking about just like church. Which again, I told you, I'm not receiving an offering. I'm talking about the heart, the heart of a person, what they're willing to do. The heart of a person, he says, the way that you measure, dish out, is the same measure that he can bless you back with. In other words, we limit God or we release God to be able to work on our behalf. If we use a small measure of which we're willing to look into other people's lives, whatever that be, however that be, and that's that's the way that we dish out, then that's what will come back to us. But what happens when he says, and he said it in Proverbs there, what happens when we're ge- we generously scatter? Then God generously can give back to us. Now look at, at, at Luke 16, verse 10. He said, he that is faithful in that which is least is also faithful in that which is must, much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you've not been faithful, In the righteous mammon, who will commit to you the true riches? God said, I mean, that's what he's saying, right? Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the trust of true riches? It reminds me of a story, and I've shared it before, but it'll it'll bear repeating just for a minute. I've read uh, Kenneth Hagin's books and, and, and studied his, his uh, sermons and writings for, for many years. And Brother Hagin talks about when he was, you know, and he's been passed away now for 20-some years. So it's been a number of years ago, and he, he was 85, I think, when he passed away. This, this was in the early part of his ministry. He's a young man, and he's um, uh, pastoring a church, which was the uh, early part of his ministry, so probably like in the 30s or the 40s, something like that. And uh, there was a, the, the depression, and he had, had de- you know, money was obviously not worth what it is now. I mean, it, $5 was a lot then. $5 won't even get you a Happy Meal now, right? You don't get very happy with 5 bucks, right? So <laughs> Brother Hagen was talking about that there was this evangelist that came into town. He didn't know him. That the, the guy was just literally living by faith. He's going from one place to another and, and stops in and says, hey, I'm an evangelist. Um, would you like to have me preach? And so... Um, Brother Hagin said, yeah, I, I, you, could, you could preach. And he'd receive an offering for him. He said, but it wouldn't be much. But he said that the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, I want you to give him $5. Now, I think he said that his, his weekly salary at, at the church, Bob, was $10. Bucks, $10. And ten, he said $10 is a lot. So $100 a year. Wow. Things have, times have changed, haven't they? He says, so the Lord spoke to him and said, give the $5. And he said, um, he was saving up for Christmas for his kids. And he said, Lord, I, I, won't, I won't be able to properly take care of my kids at Christmas time. And he said, you know, you know the Lord usually when he deals with you on one thing, usually you don't change his mind, right? right. Uh, you might change your mind, but you don't change his mind. He don't go, Kenneth, I hadn't thought about that. Hadn't thought about that. You're right. Your kids need a birthday pre- or a Christmas present. We better hold on. We better hold on to that. No, he had something greater for him. 
He said, give the $5. So he gave the $5. Another evangelist a couple of weeks later came through town, asked for a place to preach. He said, okay, and uh, let him preach, received an offering, wasn't much. He said, the Lord spoke to him, said, I want you to give him your whole salary this week, $10. He said, Lord, I just gave the five, and now you want me to give the 10? I, I, did you not understand? I told you my kids need Christmas presents. Again, the Lord didn't come back and say, hadn't thought about that, Kenneth. Maybe you better hang on to the 10. He said, give the 10. So he gave the 10. He said it was hard. And sometimes it is hard to get to that place, but I'm going to show you something here in just a minute. He said he got a, 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 not a call, but somebody came to his house and said, Brother Hagen, sister so-and-so down at her house down here, she, she's on her deathbed. She's dying right now, and then they're calling for you. And so he said he ran down, and it was just a few blocks away, and he ran over to this lady's house and shows up, and he said, the Spirit of God said, I don't want you to pray for her. I want you to rebuke death. Rebuke the sickness that is causing this condition. I'm going to heal this lady, and it's going to be miraculous. And Brother Hagin said he went in, and he said, I rebuke death in the name of Jesus. I rebuke sickness and disease in your body. Come to life. Be healed in, in Jesus' name. And he said, I mean miraculously, she raised up from a deathbed and was completely, utterly healed. Now, as he was getting ready to leave, the Spirit of God said this to him. He said, now you do realize that if you had not been faithful with the $5 and the $10, I could not have used you in any sense now. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also that in that which is much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, which is just another word for an old King James word for money, if you've not been faithful with the unrighteous money, who will commit to you the true riches? Well, is it a true rich to see somebody raised from the dead, practically? That healing come to somebody that was on their deathbed? That's what I call true riches. And it was because he was open to that. In other words, he proved to God it, the money doesn't have me. I'm not in love with money. I'm in love with you. See, this is what he was trying to get across to us. He tells us in Proverbs that we are to honor the Lord with our substance and with the first fruits. Now, he just, he, he's the one said it. The Lord said this. He said, honor. It's an honor to, when you uh, uh, give of your first fruits. And uh, he says, and of all your increase, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your presses will burst out with new wine. That's upside down again. It's like, wait, what do you mean? I, I can honor you with, with giving to you, but yet my barns will grow and, and get more? It, it just doesn't feel right. But this is the way that God does things. In fact, he even tells us in Malachi that we're to bring the, the tithe into the storehouse. Now watch this. And he says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. In other words, he's saying this. The devourer is already present. He's already, the devourer is already present. But he says, when you do this, now I can do that. Now I can rebuke the devourer for you. What happens if you don't do the first part? Then the devourer doesn't have, 
uh, 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 he, he doesn't have anything to stop him. You know, everything about God, this is one thing, just think about it for a minute. Everything about God and everything he's created, it, it gives. Trees, what do trees? Trees give oxygen to the, to the atmosphere, right? Well, um, what about the earth? The earth gives fruit. It's amazing. Everything that you see, it didn't just come out of thin air. You, you say, well, where in the world do we get steel from? Where, where do we get some of the materials that we build things from? The earth. It's amazing. It's, ama- it's amazing. The earth gives us all kinds of things. The sun gives heat and gives light. What do you think? That God created all these things and then he created man and says, you just hold on to what you got and just bless God, don't let anybody else hang on to it, get, get to it because you never know, you might not ever get any more. Doesn't it feel wrong to think that? I, I'm reminded in, in uh, First Chronicles, David, <clears throat> he wanted to build the temple of God. But God told him, he said, you're not, I can't let you do it. You're a man of war and you've got blood on your hands. And he said, I want Solomon to build the temple. Now, I imagine David was probably disappointed in that because he wanted to do something. His heart was to do something for the Lord. In fact, just turn over there real quick. First Chronicles chapter 29. It'd be, it'd be, worth, it'd be worth us looking at this, just, just so you can see one thing. First Chronicles chapter 29. So David wants to build the temple. He says in verse 2, Now, I have prepared with all my might for the house of God, and the gold of the things to be made of gold, and the silver of silver, the brass of the things of brass, iron of the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones, divers colors, and manner, all manner of precious stones, and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of God, I have of my own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, even 3,000 talents of gold. And he, and he keeps going, verse 5, the gold of things for gold, silver of things of silver. Verse 6, then the chief of the fathers and princes of the tribes of Israel and the captain of thousands and hundreds and the rulers of the king's work offered willingly. It was like David inspired the people to give. But watch, here's the key willingly because it is a reference to the heart he didn't have to manipulate them folks if you have to be manipulated into giving number one first of all you shouldn't do anything because if someone is trying to manipulate you then it's not of God we don't we we don't I don't believe in that now I believe in teaching about it but I don't believe in manipulating trying to convince or connive to get somebody to give if you don't have the if 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 you're presenting somebody isn't giving then then it becomes on them. See, I don't, you can't, and, and he talks about this in, uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians, and this is really where I need to get to, is where I'm, where I'm going to kind of set in just for a minute. Let me get over to 2 Corinthians. So David says, if I can't build the house, if you won't let me build it, he's almost like, I won't be denied. If you won't let me build it, I'll tell you what I will do. I'll just fund it. 
I'll just do what I can, what I can do. And then as he's doing this, the people begin to watch him and they start getting inspired and they go, look at this guy. This is, the, this is the thing that really matters to David. This is to David the most important thing. And building the house of God, the temple of God, was just a representation, just like, you know, a place to where people could come in and, and worship God. Place, you know, it was different then than it is now, but it's still the similarity is a place to where you could come. David saw it as very important. For you to have a place to be able to come and worship God and freely be able to receive from the Spirit of God is an important thing. So, so watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He that sows sparingly reaps sparingly. He that sows bountifully reaps bountifully. Every man according as he, as he purposes in his heart. So let him give. Now watch. Not grudgingly or necessity for God loves a cheerful giver. So I would say it like this. If someone can't give cheerfully, you don't give anyway. If you can't give cheerfully, you're not giving anyway. You might put it in the bucket or you might give it to somebody out of obligation or appeasement or something like that, but it's not really giving because now it's coercion or it's pressure. So if you can't give willingly and, and have a smile cheerfully, see, the Bible tells us in first, uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19, if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Now watch, he didn't just say obedient. It wasn't enough just to do it. It was about willingness represents about the heart. See, it's the same thing as cheerful. Cheerful says willing. If you're cheerful about doing something, it means you're willing to do it. If you're griping and complaining, I tell you what, taking up another offering again, I can't believe this. Or that person thinks that, I, I mean, I, I'm going to help them? I, I, can't, I ain't going to do that. I mean, let them go do this. Let them go do that. Well, I guess I, I can give them $10. Hang on to it. Because you ain't giving it anyway. It's not, a, it's not giving it's pressure and it's the wrong motive. It's the wrong heart. Now watch, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to, to really show you what, what I want you to see. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. In Matthew chapter 5, a very familiar passage here, the Lord begins to teach us about some things that we need to hear from time to time. We need to be reminded. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 he says, you've heard that it has been said that you'll love your enemy, or I'm sorry, you'll love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now the Lord is telling us how to conduct our lives when it comes to dealing with other people, right? But what I want you to see is this, is when he tells you what to do to your, to your enemy, how to treat them as your neighbor, he gives two specific things that we're supposed to do. Bless them and what? Pray for them. Folks, I submit to you that when you're blessing someone and praying for someone, you are giving to that person. Let me make a statement that I, I, believe, that I believe is true. You cannot ever truly give something without being in love. 
If you don't love, you can't give. You cannot do for something. You, you go through the act. I'm not saying you can't go through the act. You can go through the act. But it's not giving. That's why he's telling us, look, you've heard it's been said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. And the way that you get to present that love is doing something in giving something. You get to give blessing and you give prayers. But if you don't love somebody, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying some people are harder. You know what I'm talking about to like, you know, they're, they're not, you're not, maybe not going to be your best buddies or something like that. But you have to come at it from a heart of love. If you're sitting there going, uh, Lord, they don't really deserve it and I don't really like them. But I guess you said pray for them, and I guess I'll pray for them, Lord. But I don't, they don't really deserve It's hard to pray for somebody that you don't care about. It's hard, to, it's hard to do that. You have to get your heart positioned to where you say, I, 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 wait just a minute. They might be wrong. It might not be right. But you know what? I'm going to love them anyway. And Lord, I pray that you just help them because they need your help. I speak a blessing over them, Lord. Help me to be a blessing to some. You ever just do something for somebody that didn't care much for you and you do something really, really kind and outreach to them? It is really hard for them sometimes because they're like, what? What do you, why would you do that for me? Why would you help me? We don't really have a relationship. We don't really do anything you know, you don't particularly like me. And then you go out and you do something for somebody. It's hard. It's, there's no defense against it. They, they, how, how can they defend that? They can say, well, I don't want you praying for me. You can't stop me praying for you. How can you stop me from praying for you? Well, don't you pray for me. You don't get to tell me not to pray for you. I pray for you when I want to pray for you. This is the real heart that has to be behind giving is love. If we don't have a heart of love when we're dealing with people or, or an institution, let me say this. And, it's, and again, we're not receiving an offering, so don't, and, and I'm not trying to prime you for next week. I'm just trying to talk to you. If you don't see the value of the place that you call home in church, if you don't see the value you won't feel much about wanting to support it. But see, when you see the value, that's where, that's where it really kicks in, is when you see the value of, of what's going on and what's being done, that that's what you want to support. If you don't see the value in someone, then you won't do much for them. You have to see the value and recognize. But what's this. God said in, in John chapter 3, verse 16, y'all ever heard of that verse before? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who would ever believe that they wouldn't perish and have everlasting life? Well, God saw, looked at us, and he was like, just like the, the, it was perfect, the song was perfect, right? I, I didn't know that actually till the, last night or this morning. I already had all this pretty well done. And, and the Lord says, if you could imagine the stars in the sky and the grains of the sand, the depth of how innumerable that that really is. Y'all ever go to the beach and just go one, two, three? You're going to be there a while, right? 
You be there. You be there all day, just a hand, with just a little bit in your hand. You be there all day. But then look across that beach and every other beach in the world, and he says, "That's how much I love you. That's the degree." And watch. That's why I was willing to give to you. Is because I love you. And so I want to give something to you. I want to give you, in his case, it was, I want to give eternal life to you. And I'm telling you, if you really want to get your giving fixed, what you do is you get your heart fixed to the place to where you go, I'm going to be a man or a woman of love. I'm going to be a man or a woman that I'm willing to do what the Lord tells me to do. I'm just going to be willing to do it. I am not going to have to be coerced, manipulated. I'm not going to have to be talked into something. When the Lord speaks, I'm going to do it. And this is a process for many, for most, including me. The Lord has asked me to do some things, and generally speaking, just being honest, sometimes my first reaction is, I don't think so. (laughs) The Lord has asked me to do some things, and I'm like, no, Lord, no, no, why me? Talk to him, talk to Bob. Tell Bob to do that. Right? And it's like, come on, I don't want to do that. And the Lord says, you're going to be willing and obedient. I'll do it. I'll do it. And he goes, well, that's half of it. You're willing to do it. Or, I mean, you're obedient to do it, but you're not really willing to do it. You've got to get what? Willing and obedient in order to eat the good of the land. It isn't just enough just to do something because sometimes it's like, I'll do it because I, I'm obligated. I, you put me in this place and I, I guess I just have to do it. It ain't enough. In fact, about it, it ain't even really, just being obedient is not, not enough. It's not really even doing it in God's eyes. You've got to get to a place where it's willing and cheerful and be happy about it. Boy, you're quiet. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, listen to this. This is some of the most powerful stuff that you're ever going to hear right here. And though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not love, I have become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. This is why I really felt like the Lord was dealing with me about, in the context of giving, why that love is so important behind it. Because if you're just doing it mechanically, it's not really giving. It's not really obeying. You have to actually be in love with the idea that God gives you to do. And when you find it in the Word of God, when you find the Scripture, there's no defense. Where's your defense? Well, uh, I don't don't know about that Scripture. Uh, That one, I'm just not sure. So in other words, you like to pick what you like. Oh, this one works good for me. He said that, uh, you know, if God be for me, who, be, who could be against me? Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. He said that he, he, he'll, you know, uh, uh, he'll bless me, and, and if I have faith, he'll do all these things. Glory to God. But then he says for you to do something, and you go, I'm just not so sure about that one, if that's really what he meant. <laughs> do you ever know how we have selective, we have selective choices? We looked at it and we go, maybe there's a greater meaning to this. Maybe it just means what it says. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith 
so that I could remove mountains and I don't have love, I'm nothing. He says, you can be the greatest man of God and be doing all kinds of wonderful things, be in faith, and you don't do it by love, and you ain't, it ain't, you, you still are nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, so that tells me it ain't enough just to do the act of feeding the poor. Right? And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't vaunt itself, and it's not puffed up. It does not behave unseemly. It does not seek its own, and it's not easily provoked. Thinks no evil. Rejoice not in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. He says, if you can get a revelation of just walking in love, the other stuff will come right with it. When you get a revelation of love, giving is easy. Or let me rephrase that, it becomes easier. Because the Lord will still challenge you sometimes. You're like, what? <laughs> okay. Okay, Lord. But when you get a revelation that it's all, you, you just love God. This is why he says, now l- look at this. I'm, I'm getting close. He says in 1 John, verse four, chapter 4, verse 8, He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. So he says, if you don't know me, you don't know love. Right? But how many of you today, and don't raise your hand, but you'd go, I, I know God. Then what you're telling me, if, you would, if, if I asked you to lift your hand and you lifted your hand, what you'd be saying is, is I know love. If I know God, then I know love. If I don't know God, I don't know what love looks like. Now listen to this. I love this because it doesn't say, it says God is love. It doesn't say God has love. It doesn't say God, uh, you know, has a lot of love. It says God is love, meaning he is the personification of love. It, he, everything about him, his whole being, his existence is love, yeah. right? Now, if that's true, and we know that is, listen to this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, now listen to these words. Because if God is love, it's fair to interchange his name, God, with love. Right? Is that, is that a fair statement? Yeah. If God is love then I can say, when I'm talking about God, I can use the word love. Watch this. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of love, they are the sons of love. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love, love. To them who are called according to His purpose. Verse 31. What shall we say to these things then? If love be for us, who can be against us? It takes on a whole different perception. It takes on a whole different meaning when I recognize that God, everything about God is love. 
And that's what he wants to get inside of me. And when I get that inside of me, the things that he wants me to do, and in this particular case, to be open to giving. There's a reason behind giving. We think sometimes, well, yes, the Bible says that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So therefore, if I sow, I give, the, the, the end result is reaping. Right? I mean, that, that's what we think sometimes. And that's a part of it. But the bigger part of it is this. Could it be that God wants us to see that when we, when we open ourselves up to being a sower and a giver into, into other people's lives, other things, things that we see of value, when we open ourselves up to that, could it be that he knows that when we truly can give, it's because we're in love and he wants us to be more like him? If I, can, if I can become more like God, if, if I was here today and I said, man, I need to transform myself to be more like God and God was more like this, and I work my, my way over to this, what you would notice is this. You'd notice a guy that operates better in love and is more generous and more open to being a blessing to other people. That's what you would see a transition from. You'd see me go from one thing to another thing that looked like more like God. And if God wants us to be more like Him, I mean, who else does He want you to be more like? There's only two options. I mean, there's no like in between stuff. You're either getting more like God or you're staying more like you are or going backwards and being more like the devil. I mean, there's not, there's not like an in between. Like, I'm a medium kind of guy, you know? Go in, you want a small cup of coffee, you want a medium cup of coffee, or a large cup of coffee. I'll take a medium. I'm kind of in the middle. There's no middle. It's either God or the devil. You're either working more towards him or more, or, or more away from him. And if I'm working more towards him, then I, I'm going to look more like him. I'm going to act like him. I'm going to think like him. And I'm going to be definitely more of a giver. Because do you think that somehow or another God is in heaven and he, he's sitting there going, Gabriel, come here. Things are tight this month. We're running a little behind. Where's all that gold you've been promising that you're going to be bringing in? I, I, we're running behind, man. We, the, the bills are due. Do you think God's like that? We're at the light and they're giving up this month. We're going to have to give a little less, brother, in order to maintain heaven here. You know what? When, God, when there is a need, it's then is a true opportunity for you to give because that's when it's the hardest. It is the hardest when there is the greatest need that you have in your life. But isn't that a picture of us? God is looking down upon us and he looks and he goes, they're lost. They're gone. And if I don't intervene, if I don't respond, every bit of this is lost. God could have just said, let them go to hell. I'll just create some new ones. But you know what the problem with that would have been? He would have had to make us robots or else we'd have done the same thing again. Because when you give people free choices, they just mess up. But it's kind of like when you tell your kid, if I have to tell my kids, you better tell daddy you love him, 
and they out of fear say, oh, daddy, oh, I, I, I love you. There's no glory in that. But when they come up to you and they say, uh, daddy, or, or even better, they come up and say, Papa, you, you, you're the best Papa ever. I'm like, God, where's my checkbook? What do you want? I'm ready. I'll do anything for you. And that's the way it is with God. It's like God just wants you to make him first by your own choice. And you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I love you so much. What do you want me to do? Be careful because he will respond. I, got, I told you about the story one time before I had, I had got some golf clubs that I'd want. And I, and I, I said, Lord, you blessed me so much. What, what do you want me to do? I, I, I'm so blessed. What do you want me to do? And he said, Give them away. <laughs> what? Give them away. I'm like, I, 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 can't, I can't hear you. What'd you say? You, you, you're breaking up. Give them away. So when you ask, you better be ready to respond because he'll ask you some, he'll ask you some stuff. He'll ask you to do some things that'll be tough on your flesh, but here's the deal. He's challenging us to say, do you love me? Because he's never going to take away from you. If the Lord ever asks you to do something, it's not because he's taking it away from you. He's opening yourself up for something bigger. He's getting you prepared for something more. So you just have to be willing to do it. And, and then if you go, well, I'll do it, but I, I can't believe you'd ask me to do that. Well, that's terrible, but I'll do it. You better keep it because you're going to need it. But if you can say, Lord... Praise God, those, you, I'm, I'm sure if you put them on my mind and you put that in my heart, you have a good reason for that. And glory to God, I'm thrilled, I'm honored that you use me to be a blessing to somebody. Glory to God, you must have something wonderful waiting for me. Amen. And when you can respond like that, he says, there's my love guy. There's my love gal. They're doing it because they love me. And they love the person that, that, that I've asked them to help. Let me give you one last scripture and I'll close right here. One of my favorite scriptures, Romans 2, 4. He says, do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering? Don't you know that it's the goodness, now watch, we're going to change interchange God again. Don't you know that it's the goodness of love that leads you to repentance don't you know that love is what leads people to repent? It's not scaring the hell out of them. We think sometimes we just have to scare the hell out of people in order to get them into heaven. i got to tell you everything. Now, don't get me wrong. You need to know that there is a hell and that there is a consequence for the wrong decision. But that's not the motivation to how you lead somebody to salvation. When I can convince you that God is so good and that he is, it is enjoyable and that, and that what he has for you, not only in this life, but obviously the life to come, but this life as well. And I can convince you that it is, it's good times. It's just good times hanging out with God and doing things in the kingdom of God. If I could convince you of that, then it's everlasting. Then you go, why would I want to do anything else? Why would I not want this? What in the world would want to, but now if I scare you for a moment, you can be scared for a moment, but then you get back and you have a good day. And everything kind of goes pretty smooth and you go, eh, I don't know about that God thing. But if you get convinced that he's good, then you're willing to hang around longer. 
So I want to encourage you. Fall in love with God and fall in love with his people. And be willing and be cheerful about anything that he asks you to do. Don't get uptight about it. And you know his voice. Does the devil ever come up and say, I want you to bless sister so-and-so? I just had them on my mind. I just want you to bless them. Y'all ever had to where you just knew it was the devil? You know if God's speaking to you and saying, bless somebody, what, what you, there's too many scriptures that, that show us that. The devil don't want you blessing nobody. He wants you taken from them. If, if, if you heard a voice that said, go in there and when they're gone, go in there and rob them and take their big TV, their big screen TV and take it home with you because you deserve it. You've worked too hard, and, and uh, these people, they, I mean, they just have everything seems to fall down. They don't need it. You go take that big screen TV and take it home with you. Would you go, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Thank you, for, thank you for showing me the way to get my big screen TV that I want to watch the Super Bowl with. Thank you, Lord. Would you do that? Would you mistake that? then why would you mistake when, when, when you get the unction to do something to reach out to somebody else and think, that, that ain't God, that ain't God. Of course it's God. Respond. Watch what happens. It's painful a little bit, but watch what happens. You'll be truly acting like God when you respond that way. Because you think it wasn't painful for God? When he looked down on us and he said, man, there's only one way to fix this bunch. This is a messed up bunch. He was, I, I, I'm telling you. I don't know if he was looking directly at you, probably, but maybe me. I suspect, I mean, because he can see, you know, even when, when he decided to send Jesus, you know he could see you too. He sees your kids 20 years from now. He sees your grandkids uh, 20, 30 years from now. He's, he could see everything. You think he was looking down going, man, oh man, what a mess. What a mess these guys have gotten into. It'll be really painful for me to separate myself from Jesus, but you know what? I love them enough to do it. That's what was going through God's mind, is they're just too valuable to me, so therefore I'm going to give. And that's how you see when something is valuable, what you're willing to give to. And if you're not willing to give anything to it, you, told, you, you, you tell yourself, it's just not that valuable to me. Now don't get mad at me. Don't get mad. I'm not trying to get your money. I'm not trying to get anything out of you. I'm just trying to get you to understand when the Spirit of God begins to speak to you, know that He has a purpose and a reason for it. And when you respond, you'll be that much closer to being like Him because that's what He does. He's always a giver. He's always wanting to sow into other people. He's always wanting to help somebody. And when we can get that same heart in us, then God's using us and we become a little bit more like God. Amen? Would you bow your heads, please?